All right, so tonight will be part one in our study uh, of sanctification. If you're using the confession as it's in the back of your hymnal, it's on page 927. Um, and I didn't get the page number for the back of the Bible, but if somebody has, what, what, what 1360? Very good. All right, so we'll be in Confession of Faith 13.1. That'll be the, the bulk of our time together. Uh, but just as a little bit of a review, we've been talking about for the last several weeks uh, the, these three benefits that flow from being united to Christ. So we want to think of salvation in terms of our being unified, our being united with Christ, our union with Christ being found in him. And then there are three specific things, there's more than these three, but there are three key or core things that come out of, that flow out of our union with Christ. And we've been looking at these the last several weeks, and I'm going to just give you all a, a little hint. Um, they're the last several chapters we've been looking at in the Confession. So who can tell me what's the first thing that we get in our salvation when we're united to Christ? It's to take a bold stab in the Mr. Owens. Justification. Justification. Very good. And uh, justification is a change in our status before God. It is a change in our legal status, wherein before we were justified legally before God at the throne of judgment, we were guilty. Very good. After justification, we are pronounced righteous. Well done. Good job. So in justification, we are pardoned of our sins and we are accepted as righteous for the sake of Christ. Uh, that is to say, Christ's sacrificial death is applied to us to pay the penalty for our sins and his perfect human righteousness that he earned in the 30 some years of his earthly life is credited to us. That's why we're counted as righteous. Uh, and then there's a change in our familial relationship to God. What is that called, Mr. Johnson? Adoption. adoption. So adoption is the uh, act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. We have a new family. It's, it's on the basis of adoption that we are able to call on our Heavenly Father in prayer he hears us because we are his adopted children for the sake of Christ Jesus. He is not merely legally obligated to hear us, but he actually desires to hear from us in prayer. I believe it's Isaiah 62, 7 is one of my favorite uh, verses to, to remember about things like this, because oftentimes we will think to ourselves, um, you know, this, this, yeah, it's Isaiah 62, 7. We'll think to ourselves, this doesn't quite rise to the level of needing prayer. I don't want to bother the Lord with this. No, Isaiah 62, 7 says, Give him no rest until he establishes the new Jerusalem. That is to say, give him no rest until the time of the new heavens and the new earth. He wants to hear from you in prayer. He wants to hear every little thing. There is no want or desire that is on the heart of my children that I don't want to hear because I'm their father. Now, I may not provide all of them for them. They may not even be good things that I'm inclined to give them. But nonetheless, I want to hear it. I want them to bring it to me. So also, God the Father delights to hear from you in prayer. And he says, give me no rest. Don't leave me alone. 
until I establish the new heavens and the new earth. <clears throat> and tonight we're going to, of course, look at our internal change, which is sanctification. This marker is gone, but that's okay because I can't write clearly anyway. All right, so we've got uh, a legal change that happens at the moment of, our, moment of our salvation, a familial change that happens at the moment of our salvation, and also a personal internal change that happens at the moment of our salvation. And, and maybe to help, I don't know, put some, put some legs on that, as it were, is an illustration uh, our salvation is a covenant relationship with God. We, we are brought into a covenant fellowship with him. Now, there, there is uh, one particular relationship that we have in, uh, in this earthly life that's also generally thought of as a covenant. Anybody want to take a stab at what that is? You get a fancy ring when this happens. Marriage. Marriage, right? And in a marriage, you have... Uh, a legal change that happens uh, when, you know, Mrs. Early and I are coming up on 10 years in April, April 12th, 2014, we were married. So we're coming up on 10 years. And uh, at the moment that we were married, there was a legal change in status that happened. Uh, that has to do with how you file taxes, next of kin for emergency reasons, all this kind of stuff changes legally. But there's also a family change that happens at the moment of marriage. There is a, there's a new family that's formed. And not only that, but now I am part of her, uh, her, her family in terms of her parents are my parents-in-law, her siblings are my siblings-in-law, and so on and so forth, and vice versa. There's a corporate change that happens at marriage. And also, there is a personal existential change that happens in marriage, where I am now no longer my own person, but I am now a husband. She is now a wife. And there's a change in my role and who I am personally that happens. That's kind of analogous to what we're talking about up here. All these different kinds of changes happen <coughs> when we enter into covenant with God. Now, one other thing that I want to talk about that's kind of different about these three things is, is the, how they work. So if I could get somebody to uh, flip over to the shorter catechism, numbers 33 to 35... Shorter Catechism 33, whoever gets there first, if you could just read it out loud for us. Yes, Mr. Johnson. What is justification? Yep. Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins, and accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. All right, 34, who's got it? Uh, other Mr. Johnson? Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. All right, and number 35, Mr. Malk. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die in sin and live unto righteousness. All right, thank you. So in those three answers... All of them have a slightly different way they will, two of them have a very similar way they begin, and one of them is slightly different. Justification and adoption are both what of God's free grace? Acts. Whereas sanctification is a work of God's free grace. That's telling us something that's very important, very significant about the difference in these things. An act is something that happens once and for all. It is a one-time thing. 
a work is an ongoing thing, right? So every Christian that has ever been justified is fully and totally justified at the moment of their conversion. Nobody is more justified than anybody else. Um, <clears throat> no pastor, no great theologian, no, um, no great saint in church history. None of them are more justified than any of you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a level playing field. Similarly, with adoption, no one is <clears throat> more an adopted child of the Heavenly Father, provided they're a born-again believer, than anybody else who's also a born-again believer. Not so with sanctification. Some of you are more sanctified than others. Some of you are less sanctified than others. But sanctification is a work that is progressive in our lives. That's the point that we're making here, the point of distinction. It's a work, it's an ongoing, uh, every uh, moment of your life type of deal. And so what we're going to look at tonight in sanctification is, is the, these different aspects, different parts of it. And I'm going to go ahead and read the confession and I'll give you, as I'm reading the Confession on Sanctification, kind of the outline <coughs> for how we're going to think about this and how we're going to work through it, because we're only doing uh, paragraph one tonight. All right, so Sanctification, chapter 13, paragraph one. They who are effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified really and personally, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. And so what we have here so far is the, the confession is going to establish that there are, like justification, there are two parts, two aspects to our sanctification. There's one that is positional, and there's one that is progressive. And we'll talk about the difference in that and what that means more in a moment. But the first thing that we see here is there's a positional sanctification, and that comes from these words like, being regenerated, having a new heart, a new spirit. And, and then we see the source of this sanctification. They are sanctified really and personally through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. That's the source, that's the strength, that's the power behind our sanctification. And then it says that this happens by his word and spirit dwelling in, uh, in them. That's the means by which we are sanctified, the means by which we access that power of our sanctification. And then the results, the dominion of the, the whole body of sin is destroyed, the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified, and they are more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces. These are all things that happen as the result, as the fruit of sanctification in our lives. And then finally, the goal, the end of our sanctification, what we're aiming for that they may practice true holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so what we're going to look at tonight <clears throat> is the, the idea of positional sanctification, because it's not one that we talk about a lot. Then we're going to look at the source of our sanctification, the means of our sanctification, fourthly, the results of our sanctification, and finally, the end or the purpose of our sanctification. So firstly, uh, what is positional sanctification? The Bible speaks about sanctification in two senses. It speaks about it in a past tense, as though it has happened since. And I'll show you some verses that show that. And then it also speaks of it in an, in an ongoing sense. And again, just to use kind of the marriage illustration, okay? So, um, I am not more of a husband now than I was 10 years ago. 
I guess technically I'm more of a husband today than I was 10 years ago today because I wasn't married yet. But you, you get the picture. I'm not more of a husband now than I was one minute after I took my vows. I'm as much of a husband, even though it's been that many years and three kids and all that stuff. I am the same level of husband. However, by God's grace, I hope I'm free to say this, I'm a better husband now than I was the first year of marriage. And don't all look at her for confirmation. (laughs) But the point is, there's a positional moment in time when that happened, and then there's a progressive growth in the role. That's what positional sanctification is. There's a moment in time that you are regenerated, that you are born again, that you receive a new heart and a new spirit. And then those, uh, those, those, those things that you're given, your new heart, your new spirit, your rebirth, they grow. You grow into that role as a Christian. Does that make sense? So we don't want to think about in terms of being more or less Christian. We want to think about growing in Christ-likeness, growing in conformity to his image. That's the idea of positional sanctification. And the reason that's important that you get this right the reason that it's important to know that sanctification is not only a progressive thing, but it's also a positional thing, is that's the basis on which you're going to fight sin in your life. right? Because you are a Christian, it is reasonable, it is right for God to expect you to live like one. Just like, um, I'll use another illustration so it's uh, uh, less um, marriage, but, you know, all right. Uh, I was uh, I was ordained as a pastor, what like a year and a half ago, and I am just as much a pastor today as I was then. But from the moment I was ordained, it's reasonable for you all to expect me to act and behave like one, with knowing that you'll be need, need to be gracious and patient as I grow into the role. The same kind of idea with being a Christian: you are one, and so God expects you to act like one. But he's also patient and long-suffering with you as you grow into it and as you mature in it. Does that make sense? Do we understand this? All right, so by, by virtue of being positionally sanctified, you have what you need to live a life of godliness. Um, now, the source of that sanctification is, as we have said, Christ's death and his resurrection. You have, in your union with Christ, everything that is needed to live like him. You have access to the power of his blood that cleanses from all sin and all unrighteousness, as the Bible teaches. And you have access to a newness of life that happens at the moment of your rebirth. That spirit that rose Christ from the dead is also at work in those who have been born again. Um, You have been uh, set free from sin and death. And we'll talk more about this in a moment when we talk about uh, the, the, the results of sanctification. But the point is that in being united to him, you have all that you need. Now we're still going to stumble, we're still going to fall, we're still going to fail. But we don't get to, to, to blame it on somebody else. We have to repent of our own folly, our own sin, our own error, uh, because in Christ we have received everything. Let's let's uh, do. We have questions on that before I move on to the means of our sanctification. Right, the death that the death that Christ died, He died to sin on our behalf, so that we also are reckoned as dead unto sin. 
um, Romans 6. I think one of you referenced that in your homework summary of this of this text, and that was a very apropos thing. And the life that he, uh, the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God. Uh, let's look at the means of our sanctification. Who wants to look at the confession and tell me what are the things that, that the confession tells us God uses to affect this in our lives? Yes, Stephen. By his word and spirit dwelling in them. By the dominion of... Right, that's the, the, the dominion of sin being, being defeated or uh, destroyed is, is the result. The means, though, the means by which God sanctifies us, the means by which he grows us in conformity to Christ's death and resurrection are his word and his spirit. His word and his spirit. That is to say, it is as we grow in the knowledge of God's word that we grow to be more and more like Christ. God uses his word first and foremost in our lives. Um, There are other means of grace, right? There's the sacraments, there's prayers, there's things like that, but they are all subservient to the word of God. This is why, for example, um, when we observe the Lord's Supper or when there's a baptism in our church, the person who administers the sacrament is the one who preaches the message that night or that morning because there's a connection between the sacrament and the word. There is a reading of the words of institution before we observe either sacrament because we want you to know that this is coming from the Bible and and, and we need the Bible to tell us what those sacraments are pointing to. The primacy of the word is also why I have uh, you guys going through the practice of praying through passages of scripture because what what prayer is, most ideally, is, is, is it's like breathing. We breathe in the promises of God. We breathe in what God expects of us in his word, and then we ask for him to make it so. We ask for him to keep the promises that he's made. We ask for him to make us like he says we are to be. We ask him to protect us from the sins that we are to avoid. Our prayer is to be shaped by the word of God. Now, what we're doing in here is praying through paragraph by paragraph passages of a book consecutively. You don't necessarily have to do that. That's just an easy way to keep it organized for everybody. But the point is, Prayer is subservient to the Word of God. The Word of God is the primary means accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit that God uses to sanctify us. So who wants to take a wild guess what my application is at this point in the lesson? What ought you to do? Say it loudly. Mr. Read your Bible. Be familiar with it. Know it well. Not just for the sake of sword drills, which is showing off, I'm not bitter. Um, <laughs> just teasing. But no, knowing what it says and understanding what it is that God requires of you and then, and then embracing it by faith and asking him to do it. That is what we are to do. That is the chief, the primary means by which we are sanctified. Chad Van Dixhorn writes, we sometimes wonder why we do not grow, why we are so mediocre. It is not a mystery. It is not the fault of the spirit for he has told us about the important function that the Bible has to our growth in grace. We need to be people of the word of God. So those are the means by which we are sanctified. Now let's look very quickly at the results. There are three results that are listed in the confession. First of all, the dominion of sin is destroyed. Secondly, the lusts of the flesh are weakened and mortified. And finally, we are quickened and strengthened in all saving graces. 
So first we're going to talk about the dominion of sin being destroyed. What this means is that sin and Satan no longer have authority over you. You were born dead in your trespasses and sins, but when you are born again, Satan no longer has authority over you. Um, I don't know, uh, for, for those of you that have younger siblings, maybe this is only something that happens in the early household, but sometimes uh, one of my kids will do something wrong. And, and I will ask them, why did you do that? And they will say, Satan made me do it. That doesn't fly. That does not fly, especially for someone who has been born again of the Spirit. Satan has no dominion. He has no authority. He has no power over you. That has been broken. Now, he can still tempt you and entice you and lead you astray. That, absolutely. But he cannot make you. You don't get to blame anyone else. Our sin is our fault. Secondly, after the dominion of sin is broken or destroyed, also the lusts of the flesh are weakened and mortified. The problem is just because sin's dominion is ended doesn't mean that we're instantly no longer subject to temptation. It doesn't quite work that way. I wish it did. There are some times that sin will still appeal to our flesh. But over time, as we avail ourselves of the means of grace and of sanctification, those sins that are tempting, that are alluring, will become less and less attractive and eventually even uh, repulsive to you. And that's the mortification, that's the death of desire for particular sins. But the way that that happens is intimately connected with the final thing. That is the, the quickening and strengthening of saving graces. What, is, what does the confession mean by that use of the word quickening there? Does it mean... What does it mean? Anyone? Made alive, right? So when we say that, that Jesus is coming back to judge the quick and the dead, we don't mean fast people are in big trouble, right? We mean the, the living and the dead, right? The same, the same use is at play in the confession here, a, 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 an alivening of all saving graces. And the point I want you all to get from this is that the mortification of sin in your life, as well as the growth in grace, are two sides of the same coin. And the way that you put to death sin in your life is by pursuing growth in grace. A lot of people think that the way I grow in my sanctification is by putting to death sin in my life, period. And what I need to do is I need to rigidly, doggedly commit to my own personal discipline and say, I'm not going to do X, whatever that is, anymore. I'm going to come up with a system. I'm going to make sure that X isn't around and I'm not going to participate. That's good, but it is not good enough. You also need a new affection, a new desire. You need to replace the desire for sin, with a desire for something righteous. I'm going to use an illustration here um, that I, I hope will be helpful for you all. Uh, there was years ago in my former church um, a man who struggled with pornography. And law of averages, looking in a room of teenagers, there's probably somebody in here that does too. 
And what I did at that time, because I was asked to help him, is I came alongside of him and I said, all right, we're going to put this software on your computer. I'm going to be your accountability partner and we're going to work on this. And I stand by all of that. That's good counsel. I would give it again. But I missed something very important. I needed to encourage him to grow in holiness as well. It's not enough to just put away the desire for a sinful thing. We must also cultivate a new and holy desire. The problem with something like pornography is he is viewing other human beings created in the image of God as merely objects for personal pleasure. That is a wicked, evil thing. Because they're human beings, and they're more than objects for pleasure. They're worthy of dignity and honor and respect and value and all these things. And so what I needed to tell this man to do, and what I would encourage anyone here who has that struggle to do, is not only to put in accountability stuff and do that, but also grow in an appreciation for the dignity, worth, and value of other human beings, changing the way that you look at them, not as means to an end, but as people that are worth serving and loving and honoring and treating with value because they are. Does that make sense? It's, it's not just saying no to this. It's also saying yes to that. It's dying to this so that I might live in the way that God would have me to do. It's putting to death a wicked desire and developing and cultivating a new one. That is what sanctification looks like. And that's the, the thing that so many people miss when they talk about this. And, and you could apply that to so many other sins, right? That's a controversial one, but you could also look at, you know, um, I won't spread, I, I, I won't gossip about people anymore because gossiping's wrong. Well, good. But how about instead of just saying, I won't gossip, we say, I will seek opportunities to speak encouraging and positive things about other people. You guys see the difference there. And as you discipline a new positive habit, that is what makes the old negative one distasteful. All right. Finally, the result, the end, the purpose of our sanctification, the confession gives us two. It says, to the practice of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Or to put that another way, the end, the purpose of our sanctification is that we would be like the Lord. That is what true holiness is, right? The Bible says, you shall be holy for what? I am holy. The practice of true holiness is the practice of being like the Lord. And then the purpose is that we might be with him. We become like him, that we might be with him. But the really wonderful thing, the really amazing thing about our God is we become like him by being with him. And again, we're right back to communing with him in corporate worship. We're right back to studying our Bibles. We're right back to giving time to prayer. We're right back to spending time with the Lord that we might be made more like him. That is how sanctification works. And uh, next week... Y'all will look more at the ordinary means of grace with Mr. Hawes, and then the week after that, we'll talk about how sanctification works in our practical daily experience in sections two and three. Uh, but before I close us in prayer, uh, and we move on to our final hymn, do we have any questions on any of this? All right, let's pray. God in heaven, we give thanks to you for your great love for us. We thank you that you not only pronounce us clean in justification, but you are in the process of making us clean in our sanctification. And Father, I pray 
uh, for all here, that we would pursue the means that you have instituted, that we would pursue uh, the grace of your spirit and the power of your word in our lives, that we might be transformed more and more from one degree of glory to the next to the image of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.